0: Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Finicky Gavin. Finicky Gavin. Appropriate for today's well, movie we're discussing?
1: Yes, yes. For For those who are listening who are family members and or close friends, I am not Finicky. I am just naming myself after a character in today's film. I was about to say, I would not describe you as Finicky. Yeah. As as it came out of my mouth, I'm thinking, uh, you know, family members in Hawaii are like, no, don't say that about yourself. Yeah, no,
0: no. I mean, we say it, but- But not d- you. But don't insult yourself. No, no. Anywho, we are here. We are recording. Yes, this episode is getting released a day late. Uh, we apologize we- for the inconvenience. It almost didn't get recorded today because we've had a hectic uh, last 24 hours between the two of us.
1: It, all, it almost seems like a bunch of accidents- Almost prevented us from recording. Ah,
0: uh, ah, uh, 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 That is correct. So yesterday, we had some major technical difficulties. And then today, uh, last second, we're about to record about 15 minutes before. And unfortunately, uh, I get a call from Jessica and she was having car issues. So that took some time to take care of. We I had to contact AAA first because... We've recently switched from SoCal to NorCal coverage, so for our listeners outside the state of California, Southern California to Northern California, and AAA is a roadside assistance, assistance, excuse me, uh, service, so they were trying to uh, not come and do their job, but we took care of that, and then had to drive out to the car, meet the driver, and then take Jessica uh, to, from work to the dealership, et cetera, et cetera, so... I am here, though. We are recording. I am excited. Let's do this. How many bags of popcorn are you in? About one and a half. So the dealership had amazing popcorn. They had an actual, I'd say like almost the size of the new Beverly's, like real popcorn machine. And I was like, I'll get a bag, sure, because I had 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 my post-workout shake about three hours before. I I usually try to eat every three to four hours, something really small, Uh, and it was delicious. I was surprised by how good it was. And I finally got Jessica to start. I got the second bag mostly for her, but I was almost already halfway through it when I convinced her to try some. And she's like, this is really good. I'm like, I know. So we just need to (laughs) swing by the Nissan dealership anytime we're going to the movies, grab a free bag of popcorn, then head on uh, over to watch whatever we're watching. Well, there you go. There we go. So, uh, yeah. What is
1: new with you, my friend? Uh, it feels like, oh yeah, well, something's new. I guess uh, you're speaking to not a world champion, not a national champion, state champion, but uh, as of last night, a champion of a soccer league in uh, the Torrance Manhattan Beach area.
0: You beat me to it. I was going to say a big congratulations are in order. So last week you guys won the semifinals. Yes, which and, we thought was the finals. Right. So, I mean, good mentality to go into while <laughs> yeah, playing. Yes. And then uh, you won last night, so congratulations. And for uh, listeners that don't know, Gavin has been a competitive soccer player his whole life. Uh, so much so, he was uh, actually going to try out to play professionally in Japan when unfortunately an injury uh well, it was an injury, right, from a car accident?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It l- literally rear-ended from behind with my, after I just got my passport from the federal building on the 10 freeway.
0: Yeah. Anyone yes. who knows the
1: 10 freeway knows that it can be lightning speed and then s- dead stop. Which was the exact same scenario
0: as my last accident, too. That messed me all up, so the 10. Ugh. But uh, anyway, was on his way to m- make a final run to try to play professionally in Japan. But since then, you've still played constantly in rec leagues and stuff, so... And I play for people's, uh,
1: people's lunch money, so
0: therefore nice. I still get paid. Excellent. So yes. you are a professional. That's right. And I apologize. I'm uh, definitely sipping on some coffee right now, and not healthy, good coffee. It is the instant Vietnamese coffee.
1: Oh, uh, you're lucky, you lucky, yeah, you lucky that, son that, of a hey, I left you guys in a lot. So I know. Long story. And by short. By the way, the packets where I came out, I'm like, are they all gone? They were. I, I don't want to say they're hidden from me. But I had, to, I had to search for them, and uh, I found them. Uh, yes, because
0: uh, Gavin's uh, other half has taken a liking to them. So I I love coffee. Uh, I've learned to curb my coffee addiction and only drink it when I truly need it. Uh, over the years, though, I haven't been as self-controlled. But I didn't start drinking coffee till I moved to Shanghai. And so I think I was about 27 when I first started drinking coffee. And then when I got really into it, I was like, oh, I got to make this at home. And Jessica and I at home, we had uh, – a kettle, but not a, a coffee pot or anything. And my, my good friend, Danny, uh, travel man, Dan turned me on to the instant Vietnamese coffee, which is kind of a three in one. If I had to compare it to anything, I'd say it's like a latte, right? Yeah. I yeah. think that's fair. It's, it's kind of like a lot. If you were to make a latte and put a little sugar in it. So, uh, a little, yeah, <laughs> they're, they are delicious, but they are not healthy by any means. They're not the worst. It's not like a Starbucks drink. That's 200 something calories. They're like 80 calories a packet, but it's definitely a treat, but I, I just didn't feel like making black instant coffee, which is all I had time for right before recording. And cause I'll drink my normal coffee black, but the instant stuff, you know, it's like, ugh. yeah, I had some yesterday yeah. before training and it, I, I drink like Not even a third of the cup. I was like, oh, this just isn't sitting well. So, uh, yeah, I'm drinking my Vietnamese coffee. I've also got some uh, water to stay hydrated. But I'm super excited to talk about the movie we're talking about today. As far as martial arts movie news, uh, due to the fact that I've been a bit discombobulated over the last 24 hours with everything going on, I don't really have much to bring to the table. Do you, good sir?
1: Uh, Well... The trailer for Fear the Night seems to have dropped. That's the new Maggie Q okay. film. Okay, did you watch it? Uh, I watched. I watched the trailer, and it, and there seemed to be some uh, nice action sequences. It's sort of set up as like a horror film. Yeah, I read that. And it's like there, a, a
0: bachelorette party in
1: the middle of nowhere. That then like strangers show up. So it's kind of like yeah, a horror it, movie. It definitely has. It definitely has a horror film feel to it. And then uh, it seems like Maggie Q is using some uh, some of her uh, fight. Film skills in uh, nice. inside the house to disarm the assailants. Nice. Uh, and then it also appears that the
0: new Jackie Chan, John Cena film, uh, whatever its most recent title is, I think Hidden Strike or whatever, is now going to be released directly on Netflix. Oh, that's think. a shame. Yeah. I, I actually would have gone to the theaters for that. Of course. I mean, we try to support Jackie when we can. But uh, yeah, so there's that news. Uh, anything else? Any other trailers dropped? Not that I can think of. Uh, as of, actually, I think it's tomorrow, Warrior Season 3 premieres. Yes. So that's exciting news. Indeed. Definitely going to be watching that. Jessica and I will probably re-watch the Season 3, or excuse me, Season 2 finale, even though they usually give a pretty darn good recap, you know, at the uh, first episode of a new season with these shows. I uh, was we'll still probably rewatched the last episode just to re familiarize ourselves with everything going on. Uh, oh, other news Mortal Kombat 2 officially started uh, filming, and they yes. made some announcements about new cow- cast members. Uh, the most interesting one would be uh, well, obviously, so, I mean, Martin Ford, the giant dude from uh, Undisputed Four, is playing Shao Kahn, but Carl Urban is playing Johnny Cage which I think a lot of people were assuming or leaning towards Scott Atkins as being... I mean, I think he would have literally been the perfect choice in terms of martial arts, physique, this and that. But, and I think Scott Atkins is a fantastic actor. We'll be talking about him today. I think Carl Urban is an interesting choice because I, I think to embody the the character of Johnny Cage as the washed up action star maybe he is the perfect choice and he has shown that he can do martial arts action previously in some of like his straight to video efforts and so forth uh like the uh, movie he did with Antonio Banderas which uh the one that was directed by Isaac Florentine the name of it slips my mind right now but he's shown he's very capable and if he put in the time for training I'll give it a shot but the thing is about Johnny Cage as a martial artist He's also supposed to be Jean-Claude Van Damme-like. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme was the inspiration. You know, he's supposed to be able to do splits. He's supposed to be able to do spinning kicks. And, you know, he's not like a Jeff Speakman doing kempo karate. It's mm-hmm. definitely, and that would have been better suited for Scott Atkins. But hopefully they made a good choice. Otherwise, all the previous cast is returning, including some of the people that died, which is awesome, because our friend of the podcast, Max Huang, uh, who... Uh, for newer listeners may or may not know, I went to the Shanghai Sports University with uh, an extremely talented martial artist, very nice guy. He is back as uh, his character, uh, Max Wong, is playing... uh, I
1: can't think of the name of it. Kung Lao? Kung Lao. I think so. Yes, but all I'll say is I'm glad he's coming back because he has great screen presence. Uh, Just has a sort of a... I don't know how to say old school feel to him, but he just carries uh, has such a great screen presence and carries. I well, he also had the best of,
0: fatality in the film too. Well, that's
1: true, but yeah. he just he just kind of carries this uh, this martial artist presence that we we love to see from the nineties, from the eighties. He mm-hmm. he he seems to be a link, and so I'm glad he's coming back.
0: Right, and as a uh, member of the Jackie Chan stunt team. You know, yeah. he brings that uh, plethora of experience as well. So, yeah, and then Louis Tan is also back as uh, the original character they created. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited because I'm hoping that, uh, once again, we did an episode on Mortal Kombat. It's actually our most listened to one ever, if I'm not mistaken. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. We loved the film. I think we both gave it a B B+, but our main criticism was actually the martial arts in it. And a lot of that I feel had to do with it being a COVID production and post-production it was probably done all remotely and I feel like Mm -hmm. there was a bit of a disconnect so hopefully this time they can clean up some of the uh how would you put it the production of the fight scenes because it was obviously they have all these amazing performers they had great choreography but it was kind of some real fast cuts and choppiness in there and the these performers are all so good you don't need to do that lit max Wong kick lit you know uh Louis Tan is a very talented uh, – he's got a great like Muay Thai base and stuff. Let him throw some power shots and so forth. And that's what I'm hoping they do with this new one.
1: Well, no, I, I think in a Twitter conversation I was having with our, our friend Aaron Vargas, he essentially uh, – basically, essentially, I think my comment to one of his comments was it feels like a lot was left on the cutting room floor. Yes, yeah for for mortal Kombat one and maybe maybe they'll make those adjustments in two right
0: because the th- as we said some of the things they got right the fatality the, the fatalities the violence the it, it embodied a lot so hopefully they don't take away the good elements from the first one uh and then maybe just clean up some of the other stuff but anyways we're going down a rabbit hole of mortal combat discussions do you have any movie quotes for me today good sir
1: Indeed, I do. Excellent. I'm going to omit the beginning of the quote because it does mention a character's name. Oh, so starting from the middle of the sentence, for person with no forgiveness in heart, living, even worse punishment than death.
0: Karate Kid Part Two. There you go. All
1: right. Easy.
0: Yeah, that was low that, that, hanging fruit, but a great quote. Yes, very good quote, uh, and rings very true. Indeed. That was it? Just one quote? So if Just one quote. Okay. Right on. So, uh, uh, should we get on into it then? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's okay. get it on. Let's, let's get it on. All right. Today, we are talking about the 2022. It's so weird saying that because most of our movies are like a lot older. I'm like the 1987 classic. I'm like, yeah. all right. The 2022 action comedy martial arts extravaganza Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday, aka Accident Man 2, Hitman's Holiday, directed by the Kirby Brothers, George Kirby and Harry Kirby, written by Stu Small and starring and co-written and co-produced by the one and only Scott Atkins, featuring a supporting cast with the now uh, past Ray Stevenson, may he rest in peace, uh, who... He's unfortunately no longer with us, and he's so good in this film. Uh, Perry Benson as Finicky Fred, where uh, Gavin got his name from. Uh, Sarah Chang, who absolutely steals the show as Wong Xiu Ling, a descendant of Wong Fei Hung. Uh, we've got Bo Fowler as Poco the Killer Clown. Faisal Muhammad as Yendi the Vampire. Andy Nguyen shows up as Uyemi, another assassin, uh, and so forth and so forth. So we'll get to the other Actors as well, but uh, yeah, this was I can't remember whose idea this was to talk about it. We've wanted to talk about it for a while, and I we, think I think this was yours. I think it might have been because uh, we we both watched it before the end of 2022, and it made our list of like best films of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both highly enjoyed it, but we wanted to give some time before we reviewed
1: it since we talked about it so much on that episode. But and I, and I actually don't want to like we usually don't politicize the show, but if I'm not mistaken. Former President uh, Obama had this on his list of top films of 2022. What? Yes. Really? A former president did, and I think it's President Obama because I think he does movie lists.
0: No way. Yes. Don't type. I can hear it. I'll look it up. Okay. Hold on. Uh... Top movie list 2022. All right, let's see here. Obama's favorite movies of 2022. Because that's, that's, that says something. All right, let's see here. Uh, Obama's list included After Son, Emily the Criminal, Petit Maman, Happening Till, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Top Gun Maverick, The Good Boss, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, A Hero Hit the Road, Tar, and After Young. He also included The Descendant. I think okay. you're mixing up Everything Everywhere All at Once and Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday, my friend. <laughs> I swear I'm not. Well, the the list I'm reading definitely does not have uh, Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday on
1: there. Hmm. Well, I will say that it's on, I think it's on some ex-president's list.
0: Maybe. That feels more like a George W. watch uh, and list then. Or maybe even Jeb. Please
1: please clap. Yeah, please clap. All right. What? So I've been fact-checked. Okay. Uh, and this well, is why we don't go political.
0: You know what? Maybe Bill Clinton looks like one that would like it too. You know what I mean? I could see him uh, enjoying a, a popcorn I flick swear, like this. I swear,
1: but, you know, may, may, yeah, who knows? But who knows where I saw that? Maybe it was it, Maybe it was clickbait, fake news. I clicked it, went for it. It could have been. It could have been, my hey, friend. remember, I'm the one who's on Twitter, and you're the one who's on Instagram, so I probably get a lot of fake click.
0: clickbait uh, well,
1: news. Anywho. Back to the movie. Right. So,
0: Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday. Now, I really liked the first film, Accident Man, which, as most yes. people know, is a passion project for Scott Atkins. He uh, saw the comic book as a kid, always thought it would be a great idea to make it, got the rights for it, made the first one. Jesse B. Johnson, his typical collaborator, I shouldn't say typical, but his multi-time uh, collaborator, Directed it. Uh, Tim Mann did the fight choreography. He's also featured in it. Had a great cast. Michael J. White's in there. Ray Park's in there. Amy Johnson was in there. Great movie. Highly enjoyed it. You know, solid for just any viewer, like B+, plus martial arts viewer, you know, A. But this sequel is a million times better. And that says something. Because the first one was good. Really good. This one, though, is superb as far as... I, it. I still can't believe it's, uh, you know, quote, unquote, straight to streaming type film. It does not look like it. It looks and feels like a major motion picture. It has the kind of script that would be in a Brett Ratner action comedy a la Rush Hour. Super funny, super fast paced, super clever. It has incredible performances from the entire cast. Some of them slightly more established actors like Ray Stevenson. Then you have relative newcomers in the form of like Sarah Chang, who mm-hmm. is phenomenal as her character. And it's I was just blown away by
1: how amazing this film was. You know, uh I'm starting to think that Scott Atkins is actually the king of the sequel because hit obviously Ninja was a great film. Ninja 2 arguably is a superior film. Yes. Uh, you can make a similar argument for debt collectors and debt collector and debt collectors okay I think that's uh that's a harder case to 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 make but when it comes to accident man uh accident man the first film is a good dark solid like you said passion piece it feels like a nice independent film where every penny that they spent went straight into the production to get the to get the action scenes right and boy did they ever get it them right but part two just like you said it feels like a big film yeah the locations feel like a tom cruise mission impossible film and not just that they're shooting in malta but where they shoot they have rooftop scenes alcoves uh just phenomenal locations it feels it feels like a jackie chan film late 80s early to 1990s where he's uh where he's in full control of the budget, full in control of the artistic direction. It feels like a Mission Impossible film anywhere from part two to the current. It just has all the right... It has all the right elements to be a big Hollywood film. And then on top of that, there are at least eight fights in this film. Oh, a ton of martial arts
0: action. Give or take.
1: I I might have to double... I I watched it a second time and then I rewatched the first Accident Man. But... uh, there are so many fights in this film. It is exactly what you want. It feels like in the line of duty four meets a Samuel Hung film, meets uh meets the best American martial art film you can think of with longer takes, not jump edits. It feels it feels like every kind of film you'd ever want without it being without it being a little John Wick Force that where we're pulling and having many homages throughout. This is a completely original story in my estimation.
0: Yeah. Excellent points all around. And the interesting part is, and I believe it was on, uh, the Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast where Scott Atkins was talking to Ben Johnson about the film. And then he spoke about how on the first film with Jesse Johnson, even though they've worked together so much and they work together so well, they just didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things in the film and there was a bit of a disconnect you know what I mean and because of that there were certain things they got right and certain things that maybe the tone wasn't quite there in some places and even the fight scenes weren't quite there in some places and there's a bit of a disconnect now working with the Kirby brothers uh including George, who uh, I believe it's George is the one that is, uh, yeah, was a stuntman previously on a lot of big productions, so a lot of stunt and action experience, their vision with Scott Atkins' vision just blended perfectly. And this was their first major motion picture as directors. They had done a ton of short films, and that's how they got onto Scott Atkins' radar. But he knew he wanted these guys to direct his film, and it just was the perfect... Uh, combination of well I mean, if, you all if you look at also points
1: the, absolutely and if you look at the films like that George Kirby was involved in mm-hmm. like Venom Let There Be Carnage and Doctor Strange these are both massive films from the Marvel universe but also films within the Marvel universe that have that tone that Scott Atkins so often per- portrays this action, but comedy tone that's perfectly blended together. Uh, and that's George Kirby. And then of course, Harry Kirby has, uh, I think, as you mentioned, uh, has uh, uh, the uh, the real target and cable chronicles of hope. So a lot of these films come with a lot of, uh, I don't know. A lot of their work, if you go back and watch their involvement or the projects that they're a part of, have this just this great look to them and great balance of shifting seamlessly between seriously hard action and seriously great comedy. I think what we talked about this last year is one of our top films of 2022. Uh, I mentioned how it had a feel of of the best elements of the Pink Panther series, yes. the one with Peter Sellers. And of course, uh, a lot of that has to do with the with the Chang character.
0: Yeah, Sarah Chang's character. Now, just to uh, give people a little bit of a rundown on the plot. Now, you do not have to have seen the first film. They give you enough of a rundown of what it is, but the, the basic uh, premise is... Our character, Mike Fallon, as played by Scott Atkins, is one of the world's top assassins that makes all of his hits look like an accident. So therefore, nobody suspects that this person was assassinated, is that they died via an accident. And in the first film, his uh, he works for a crew run by Ray Stevenson, who is like his surrogate father, if you will. He's the one that raised him practically and taught him uh, the ways of being an assassin. And his character's name is appropriately Big Ray. Uh, and in the first film, he eventually has to turn against all of his comrades, uh, after some mishaps and he ends up killing most of them and big Ray banishes him from, uh, London. And that's why he ends up fleeing to Malta and then establishes a new career in Malta. One of the few assassins from the first film that he didn't kill, uh, is his mate, his friend, finicky Fred played by Perry Benson, who is, if anything, like the, the most... In the first movie, they make him seem really kind of... Uh, not incompetent, but he his trademark is he kills people uh, through clever devices, like a Band-Aid that's going to poison them or this or that. So he has clever inventions, but unfortunately, most of them don't work. Anyways, he ends up in Malta, not looking for Mike, but looking for uh, a woman he met online... They end up teaming up together and kind of rekindling a friendship, and they, you know, become like buddy-buddy when, unfortunately, they run afoul of the Italian mafia, which puts Mike Fallon in a new position in which he has to now be bodyguard for a mafiosa's son and has to protect him from the world's most lethal assassins because there's a $9 million bounty on his head or something. So that is our uh, premise pretty much set up from there. And we get a bunch of great characters. The other one to mention would be Sarah Chang's character, as we uh, said earlier, who plays Wong Xiu Ling, who is the descendant of Wong Fei Hung. She is a martial arts expert from Hong Kong, who is also a trainer of sorts to Mike Fallon. So he hires her to just randomly attack him Uh, especially after he performs a job, because after he kills someone, he needs to blow off some steam and does that through fighting. So she'll attack him at unannounced times to try to increase his martial arts abilities, and that's where we get a lot of great uh, comical elements, very similar to the Pink Panther, as you mentioned. So that's the basic plot setup uh, that we have there. And yeah, let's go from there. So, I mean, obviously this is a more recent one. We don't talk about the history of when we first saw it, because it was like six months ago. But I recently, I almost forgot, so I never watched the Art of Action episode, so that's Scott Atkins' podcast, on this movie, Mm -hmm. because it came out right before the movie came out, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to spoil the movie, and I just completely forgot about it. So in preparation for this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, I have to watch that episode. And one of the things that blew my mind is when you see some of the -the behind-the-scenes footage, uh, not counting the previous stuff, but them actually filming, how minimalistic it was because they were on, obviously, a super tight budget and some of the shots, it's just our cameraman with all of his setup and a guy holding a boom mic and that's it. Like, not even lighting or anything and that's what blows my mind how they gave this film such a beautiful look and how they made it so crisp and clean. So, yes, although the Kirby directors worked on these massive, you know, Hollywood uh, pictures, you know, Marvel movies, they somehow brought that same professional, slick look onto a minimalistic budget and set, which they obviously had a lot of experience doing these small films. So for them, it's probably like, oh, we, we've we got way more money than we ever had before on our own personal projects. But you would never guess that this film was quote-unquote low budget.
1: Not at all. Uh, can you hear me okay? Because you're just cho- getting a little choppy there. Can you yep, hear me fine? I can hear you. Okay, great. No, I think what, you know, kind of uh, taking a step back uh, a moment to essentially saying folks can watch this film without having to watch the first one, that for me, this is, they capture all the elements of what you want in a sequel, Uh, not just bigger, badder explosions. What you actually have here is a standalone film that the first film really develops characters, develops the universe that they live in. And- the second film relies on that a little bit, but it's it's a brand new entry point for fans, brand new entry point for Atkins fans, brand new entry point for uh, action fans, and a brand new entry point for this story. Also, the slight tone change as well. I think what the Kirby brothers and Atkins did with this film in particular was just take that step up to the next level of creating... Of taking so essentially the title Hitman's Hitman's Holiday. You have the world created in part one that that universe uh, universe ex- creation that we always talk about. Some films take too long, too short. It's a perfect world world that they create. It's a little dark. This film takes what was created. So for the fans that have watched the first film, will enjoy this holiday from that first world. But at the same time, it is. A great entry point for anybody who has a friend who might be might be leaning towards watching an action film and a martial arts film. You can drop this film on them, and it's like so many of the uh, films from the straight to video era, where there are multiple sequels. Obviously, there are a lot of Blood Fist sequels that aren't always related to each other. There are Martial Law sequels, there are Rage and Honor sequels. What? What that industry had to do in the 90s to survive was create sequels so you have name recognition. You have Cynthia Rothrock doing Rage and Honor, then Rage and Honor 2. So you have her involvement. You have the title. So the first title was successful. So bam, we're creating another one. But also, there are a lot of people going into the video stores who didn't see Rage and Honor 1. They see Rage and Honor 2. The 2 is small, and it's hostile takeover. You know, they're grabbing that for the first time. So a proper martial arts sequel... It allows us to enter a film, enter a film series at any point in time and enjoy it fully for its standalone ability. And that is what this does. So I know know I'm kind of um, being a slightly broken record, but I just kind of want to get into the nuance of how special this film is and how much of a throwback it feels to that straight to video era of proper sequels that are standalone yet further the universe for deep fans like us who who geek out on rage and honor one and two and all the five six seven blood fist movies oh i think they got up to at least eight i know that for a fact (laughs) okay but none of them were technically related he shared the same name
0: between the first two maybe but uh no uh, amazing points and the, the cool part is obviously not all the characters can return because most of them were dead but for example we get finicky fred as such a he's one of the main characters in this one, whereas in the first one, he was very much supporting character and he is awesome. You know, you, you love Perry Benson as in, he embodies this character and he's kind of, <laughs> and he does such a great job and it's intentionally, I mean, he's kind of short and portly and slightly pathetic, right? But he's a great pairing with Scott Atkins, uh character of Mike Fallon, who's, you know, strong, athletic, capable, kind of hot-headed, and they just make a perfect pair. And in the first film, he was great. But in this one, he truly gets to shine. And that's a kind of neat that in the sequel, you know, a character that was a very supporting role now becomes a main player. And, you know, we didn't realize how much we truly love Finicky Fred. Uh, and in this one, he really gets to shine. Obviously, as I mentioned, Big Ray comes back. He's mostly featured in the end. But with this film, in the first one, as we mentioned, It's based off a comic book. And I feel like they were kind of going for more of the comic book feel in the first one. In this one, yes, we have some intertitles. And when like a character gets introduced, uh, they kind of come up like in this cool comic book style. But aside from that, this film feels much less like a comic book. And I think that is for the better. It's it's a little less of, hey, look, we're a movie that's adapted from a comic book. And instead it just has a, some slight little references, but otherwise it gives it a much more organic, natural feel. Not that the first one was really trying to heavily push it, but it just came off as that way sometimes. Uh, it still has Mike Fallon's narration throughout, which is definitely a tie to as if you're reading a comic book, right? And getting the inner thoughts of the character. But it just... Feels like they got it right in this first one, and once again, that could have been the cohesiveness between the Kirby brothers and Scott Atkins as having the same vision for this Mike Fallon character, for this star a story for Hitman's Holiday, and just the whole Accident Man world in general.
1: You, you know, uh, a lot of folks who might be familiar with comic books. uh, A good one to point out, and probably I'm pointing this one out in particular because of Ray Stevenson's presence, there's the Punisher comic book. Mm. And in the Punisher comic book series, there's Punisher Warzone, which is the darker one. And then there's the regular Punisher, which I guess is lighter, although Punisher's never really light. But with that said, you get these tone changes every time they bring in a guest writer for any of these comic book series. I think uh, – there, there are a lot of famous examples out there like Todd McFarlane coming in and doing some Batman or uh, frankly doing, uh, I'm sorry, Todd McFarlane doing Spider-Man, frankly doing Batman. Uh point being, there are tone changes that are acceptable within, accepted and expected within the comic book universe. So in many ways, I wonder if the tone of Accident Man was actually intended. Obviously the tone of Accident Man two was intended as well, but there is a tone change from things being dark, the narration being dark, everything being harder. Yes. Color wise uh, too. Grittier. It, the first yeah. one
0: felt dark and gritty. And a lot of that has to do with the setting in London, right? Malta yeah. is beautiful and light and it's coastal and it just see it's just it's a whole different contrast. It's like you're you know, uh, apples and oranges, really, which is cool for a sequel. I mean, look yeah. at Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. We've got the antagonist of the first film becomes the protagonist and hero of the second, right? And so... I mean, th-
1: and, and what, you're ju- what you are just did there is you arguably, arguably pointed out one of the most iconic Schwarzenegger films ever, Terminator, and you also pointed out one of the greatest sequels ever made, if not one of the greatest action films ever made. Definitely easy to make the argument for that. Oh, with Terminator Two, and that's I think what we're getting with this Accident Man and Accident Man Two: Hitman's Holiday. You're getting, you're getting a tone change, but also one of the greatest sequels of this. I don't want to call it subgenre of martial arts straight to streaming, but you kind of are with this. I don't, I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of another sequel that hits the mark as well as this one does.
0: Of the VOD era, Video On Demand, this is definitely one of the best, if not the best sequels. And it's funny just because the first one, we hi- we enjoyed so much, and then the second one comes out and just blows your mind. So, once again, this is there's overall action in this film. There's some cool shoot-em-up stuff, but really, this is a martial arts picture at heart. And, oh boy, do we get a special treat with the fight scenes. Now, in the first one, great fight scenes. Tim Mann uh, did a great job with the choreography. Mm -hmm. And Scott Atkins and all the other performers are high-level martial artists. But it had that same feel of a lot of the VOD or video on-demand pictures. You know, okay, it's a little bit lower budget. They don't have as much time to get the shots they want, perhaps. Or, you know, they don't have as much time to get all the takes. And things maybe felt a little rushed. And it... Although the choreography and execution is really good, it doesn't have that same production value of, say, like a Hong Kong film. This movie takes all the great stuff from the first one that they got right and then also adds that extra element of giving it this super slick professional feel. Now, it's been... And I've I've heard Scott Atkins talk about this on the Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast. And then we got more information from his episode, The Art of Action. It was kind of wrongly, the fight choreography duties were originally kind of wrongly credited to uh, Andy Newton, who plays uh, one of the assassins in this film. Uh, And he's also a member of the Jackie Chan stunt team, like our friend Max Hong we mentioned before. But he was one of the choreographers. But there's actual multiple choreographers so really uh tim mann actually did some bits like remotely for it or whatever but couldn't at the last second if i recall scott Atkins saying couldn't come and be the fight choreographer so technically tim mann did some of the choreography george kirby himself was uh part of like the choreography team scott atkins was i believe technically credited as like the lead martial arts choreographer then you had a couple of other guys that were there doing the pre-viz stuff and you, you see that in some of the behind the scenes uh they had a gentleman named uh Hung Dong or Hung Dante Dong. They had another uh, gentleman named Samuel Mack. uh, And then obviously Andy Nguyen came in and did his fight scene and Sarah Chang's fight scene against Silas. Now, those are the two best fight scenes in the film, if I say so myself. But I feel like with all these different people contributing it could have been a mess but instead i believe the kirby brothers and scott atkins especially as a producer with more power in this film had the ability to keep it all cohesive to keep it all uh tangible and working together not like oh that was a really cool fight scene but geez that looked way different than the first one right you know imagine yeah. taking a jackie chan style fight and then the next one doing an amazing like bringing up again jeff Speaker, jeff speakman replica right it would be like mm-hmm. huh I mean, they both were amazing, but the tone is now all over the place. No, they do a good job of keeping it
1: all the same in the best kind of way. That's a great point. I I think we've seen so some of our listeners have definitely seen films uh, from the '90s era, maybe even the '80s a little bit, where there are two or three directors on a film and a Hong Kong film, and you'll see these these huge tone changes between the fight sequences. What you what you Get from Hitman's Holiday is like this collaborative spirit that exists, and you also get, and again, I re- just recounted. I feel like there are at least seven fight sequences in this film. Each one is a little different because each one is a different character that he's fighting against. There's there's like some traditional chinese weapons-esque fight sequences on the roof when he's using the when he's yes. using the staff there's uh, a sequence where he's fighting a, a clown with a sledgehammer yeah there's a sequence where he's fighting uh andy new uh, andreas or andy, Andreas. he goes Nguyen? by andy new and so funny on imdb and when i was first i was like andreas,
0: andreas yeah. i'm like oh andy, andy a fellow a fellow andrew what's up what's up yeah. if you listen to our podcast big
1: fans Keep kicking butt, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you call you, him Andreas, sure. Well, you, you you have a you have a sword fight sequence. Yes. You know, he's uh, he's playing a sort of a ninja type character. So you have you have a lot of different styles of fights that I'm sure it looks like each person collaborated on their what their tools were that they brought to the yes. set. And this kind of reminds me of you know hearing you break down the art of action podcast. This reminds me of when. When I was on martial law, uh, the TV show with with Samuel Hugg, essentially when they were doing, uh, when they were shooting one episode, he had two he had two stunt fight teams. There was a st- American stunt team, and then there were two fight teams. So one every other episode they had a different fight team on set with him, and then they had say an actor who's coming in to shoot the next week's sh- uh, show work with the stunt team in into the soundstage, so you had two groups working.
0: Oh, so more like a little
1: bit of a previs type yes. thing, like way before previs was even a thing. So, in many ways, when we think about this film and being a slightly tighter budget, and you know they're not using a huge setup like they would on a Marvel uh, uh, film, as you as you described, you can picture that. Okay, Andre Nguyen is working with. With the people he's going to work with, while Scott Atkins is on set shooting, and then he comes over while they're shooting other scenes. So it's like the the collaborative spirit is taking, and, and the collaborative martial arts fight sequences are taking place off camera, prepping for what's going to take place on camera, which is the way it should be.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting what this film gets right, and we've talked about this in uh, for other people's projects stuff in a very positive yet also in a very negative light sometimes is it's this perfect blend of the classic, like you mentioned, Hong Kong style fight scenes, but with the new age style or as we sometimes or I've coined the YouTube aesthetic. Now, normally I talk about that with kind of a negative connotation, but this film blends the two so you know the classic with the modern seamlessly and beautifully and it works where a lot of these short online films fail for a few reasons so uh i have a whole list you know as rewatching it and stuff uh so by the YouTube aesthetic, this is what we talk about a lot of like the short stunt or action reels people put online, fight choreography, so forth, very high level uh, production look, you know, very nice cameras. Now, hell, you can even shoot on your phone and make it look amazing. You know, uh, great sound effects, uh, great, uh, even visual effects, etc, etc. But a lot of these fight scenes just fall flat for me. Now, the difference is, with the, uh, the f- uh, fight scenes in this film, first, right out the gate, the skills of the performers, right? I mean, it's a who's who of people that have been doing this for a while. You've got Scott Atkins, the man, the myth, probably, in my opinion, the most relevant martial arts star of the last 15 years, uh, even though, unfortunately, he's been limited to mostly video on demand. But his skills cannot be denied and still at his age, not saying he's old, but he's now past his mid-40s, he's still an incredible performer. And he has 20-something years of experience, both in Hong Kong, America, Europe, et cetera. And it can't be denied that he's just a phenomenal performer. You have him, you have Sarah Chang. Oh my Mm. gosh. So we'll talk a little bit more about her at the end, but her wushu abilities, you know, we're talking about a, a I believe, a world champion in wushu. So she brings to the table this incredible, authentic Chinese martial arts style different than Scott Atkins, who usually has kind of a hard-hitting kickboxing style. But as you mentioned, you know, does some bow staff stuff in the film, which is cool to see. So we have her in there. We have uh, Andy Nguyen in there doing his thing. And he's incredible. He's like that perfect blend of it's not quite, quote-unquote, tricking, but it's got, like, tricking elements, but his kicks are just phenomenal, powerful. He has a few kung fu stances he does in there with, like, a tiger claw. Uh So, I, I just love everything Andy Nguyen does. Andy Long Nguyen, or, you know, Andreas Nguyen, as it says on IMDb. So, the next, the choreography. Now, we said this could have been a disaster with all these different people. Instead, it worked perfectly, but the the choreography is done by people that not only have all this experience, but are real martial artists, right? You've got Scott Atkins doing the choreography. You've got Andy Long Longhien doing choreography. You had Tim Mann contributing to the choreography. So you've got actual martial artists who are also veterans of the film industry contributing to the choreography. So the techniques you're going to get are real authentic techniques. Then you've got Sarah Chang, who I'm sure also uh, contributed a lot with her high level wushu skills so that's a big difference too between a lot of these online uh films uh, uh especially when you've got people that aren't even we mentioned as i mentioned before the skills of the performers. they're not even martial artists so it's like they've got to learn just for this or they're just getting into it or they've been doing stunts for like a year and then unfortunately in their mind as you know our good friend of the podcast tiger shoe would constantly say uh you know I, th- I think they think they're a lot better than they are sometimes and uh yeah, so we don't have to worry about that here. Next uh, is the conviction, and that comes from the delivery and the impact. So when you watch a lot of these like short online ones, they, they're hardly making contact, right? Because one, they're not real martial artists and or fighters, or even martial artists just used to making contact. You know, they don't want to get hurt. They're not used to getting hurt. They're not seasoned stuntmen who can take shots. So it comes off as a little, like, soft or... Uh, you know, too pre-choreographed too it's like, yeah, sure, it's got a rhythm, but it doesn't have the right kind of rhythm. It's not broken rhythm. It's very much too perfectly executed. And therefore, the delivery's slightly off. There's not real impact. They're not really hitting. You don't fear for the person that you're watching. You, there's no consequence to their actions. And it just kind of comes off as like a stage performance here. We don't get that. We get some hard hitting shots. Scott Atkins goes flying through tables and, and glass tables, especially. We've got Bo Fowler as uh, Poco the Killer Clown flying through walls. Scott Atkins flying through walls. You've got Sarah Chang being choked to nearly death. There's a lot of hard hitting impact in this that you don't get in a lot of these short online films. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, this has what I constantly say; these other ones doesn't, uh, don't, and that's heart and soul. You know, there's like real presence to it. You're, you're believing everything that's going on. There's, I just don't know another way to put it. It just captures real life energy and a presence, and I think just heart and soul is the real thing. There, you watch the these short ones, and you just don't get that. They seem kind of lifeless. And the last thing I want to say. So the last element is also, and this isn't to take away from people that make these short little films because that's what they're trying to do, but the actors in this film, they are trying to make the fights look good, not themselves. That being said, by making the fights look good, they are gonna look better themselves too. But a lot of times when you watch these films of the YouTube era, as I call them, they are, they're demo reels. So all they're trying to do is make themselves look good. Or even ones that are done by real martial artists with high skill levels, they're too obsessed with looking cool and looking like finishing in poses and like slow motion. And like It's just, it comes off as cheesy and hokey because they are just trying to make themselves look cool. No, in this, people make a fool out of themselves throughout the whole movie. They, you know, they look ridiculous at points, but the fight scenes are the most important element to all the performers, and by doing so, they make themselves look the best in the end. So that is my breakdown of the fights, and how it embraces the modern day like YouTube aesthetic and uses it to its advantage while also combining it with old school style choreography. And that's why this film succeeds, where other even like uh straight to streaming or uh VOD films have failed, and then especially a lot of the short YouTube ones we get.
1: That, great. I think those are the eight points of of AJ that we just heard. And I, I love every every point you made. I know this is only 2003. The film came out 2023. Yeah, and sorry, I'm still in time cop mode. Uh, uh, 2023. The film came out in 2022. I believe that this film will be timeless uh, for many elements, and one of the elements is the difference I think between the YouTube era or the YouTube genre of fight sequences that we're seeing versus Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday is. Accident Man hit Man's Holiday is the inspiration, so that we're going to see a lot of films that they're films along the way that had been the inspiration for people trying to mimic or or show that they can do it as well and have that breakthrough. What we're having with uh, with Accident Man two is we're going to see a lot of people trying to capture this. I think that. This what we have here is I don't know if it's fair to say it's at flashpoint level because flashpoint is in of itself uh the platinum standard of action filmmaking but when it comes to VOD videos on demand filmmaking this film has just set the bar at a new at a new level. Uh there are some great VOD films A lot of them helmed by Atkins, including one shot, I think, also of 2022 or 2021, Mm -hmm. uh, where where a new bar is set, a new standard is set. But this film just feels – it feels like pure confidence in the product. It feels story-driven. It feels uh, that each fight adds to the story. It feels that each character has growth even though it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just really it just it's the perfect package uh that we haven't necessarily seen in a VOD film. We've seen I mean you and I have talked about how Under the Gun is one of our yes. favorite straight to video VOD films of well, all time. No, 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 not VOD. Straight to video. There you go. But it's in the pre-VOD era. Oh it's yeah, like so just, I mean, it's just that's right on the cusp there.
0: Straight. T- well, no, isn't it? Nineteen ninety-five dog video on it demand. Felt,
1: well, it, felt, it took me a while to be able to buy it on on VHS yeah. tape. Yo, well, this is true, but I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, you can now. Yeah, ninety-five. You're you're, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. fair. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. fair. <laughs> okay. But it it felt like a much later '90s film. Yeah, it's uh, uh, because, uh, of, because of because the high standard it set, and that is that was for me one of the one of the masterclasses in straight-to-video sh- uh, filmmaking. I know we feel like the end kind of falls off a little bit with the with the shootout rather than ending with the martial arts fight sequence. However, uh, flash-forwarding to, again, 2022, Hitman's Holiday is said is going to, for me, probably hold a similar space that Under the Gun holds for straight-to-video.
0: Excellent. And so to wrap up, I do want to talk about specifically... My personal favorite character in the uh-huh. film—that's uh, Wong Xiu Ling, played by Sarah Chang. Now it's interesting. So Sarah Chang is uh, Chinese American. So obviously, this whole character she created. Now originally, and I, and this is in the art of action, the character is supposed to be kind of a timid, shy character, which I think could have been one way to take it. You know, especially being such a lethal martial artist. But then, I—it I, was like slightly before production, they decided instead to completely change it. And, you know, when meeting Sarah and so forth and make it this very abrasive. Now, I I don't think caricature is necessarily the right word, but it's kind of a caricature of a uh, classic kind of uh, strong, fierce, Kung Fu leading lady type character. Pretty much, Scott Atkins had said he wanted her to embody the landlord from Kung Fu Hustle. And Mm -hmm. You could definitely see it as an homage to that, but not derivative, right? So in no yes. negative way. She makes a completely unique character in all of her own. In fact, I would go out on a limb and say of far superior character, in my opinion, in her, obviously, the fact that she gets to really display some martial arts and so forth. But this character is, you would think she was from like a classic era Hong Kong setting just because with the accent. With the tone of her voice, her mannerisms, her actions, she's embodying, I mean, and you could tell she probably brings a lot of real life experience to it, both in her upbringing and probably, and because, you know, she lived in China and trained Wushu in China and probably people she met there. And, you know, from my years of living in China and in the South, I lived in Guangdong for two years. Uh, in Guangzhou like you you meet people like that you know and especially the the characteristics and the way she treats Val and that although they're friends, they're you know she's also really mean to him. You know, in some points, it's because of the, she's paid to beat him up, but also just like, <laughs> I mean, how she'll flip him off, the facial expressions. And so aside from the character she created, just her acting abilities are so phenomenal. As just mentioned, sometimes it's just the look she gives will make you laugh. And her body language outside of the fighting, She, which it could have easily been she walked in, did some amazing fight scenes. Oh, wow, she's really talented. No, it's so much more than that. It's before the fight scene. You're captivated by her during the fight scene. After the fight scene. I love uh, even the makeup and costume design, which really wasn't in her control, but the the character throughout the film, she shows so many different sides, yet they're all come back to that same, the same character traits. And she's just such a fun, badass enjoyable character i'd love to see a spin-off movie with just her or even like so for example scott atkins has talked about how he would love to direct but unfortunately the offers he gets it's like yeah you have to direct and star and with how much they keep cutting down his budgets and shooting time that'd be nearly impossible but imagine if he could direct uh and co-star in like a hitman's or excuse me hitman's holiday a accident man spinoff where maybe the Wong Su Ling character has to come rescue him. Like he gets kidnapped, right? So he can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Yes, he's in it, but we get a whole film with her. So I just think her performance is amazing. It's worth the price of admission alone. She has some amazing little comical beats. Like even when she's fighting Silas, the San Francisco strangler, and she's like, Oh, is your poor pinky hurt? You know, just these little things she does that make you love the character more and more. And on top of that, As we mentioned, her martial arts abilities are phenomenal. And I really think in that final fight of hers, a lot of the shapes and the poses she does, it's really cool. You're watching Wushu take on more modern fighting, yet she adapts some modern fighting techniques as well. But it just, overall, she was incredible. Uh, I'd love to see her do more work outside of this character. I'm sure she's incredible. I know she's done some other films that I really need to... uh, seek out and watch but i'd love to see her get to expand this character more Uh, and if they did a sequel without her in it i'd be gravely disappointed
1: oh absolutely i i think there's you know in the in the narration at one point when he when he introduces her he says but that's a a story for another day you know so there's i was i as when i heard that rewatching it the second time the first time you know it just it just died it's It's there. You think about it, but the second time rewatching, I'm like, "Oh yes, a story for another day." I'm going to hold you to that.
0: Well, I I love when Finicky Fred's trying to claim that uh, Mike Fallon lets her beat him up, which. Kind of seems like he does, but he's like, No mate, she she's a master of eight different styles of animal kung fu. It's like fighting <laughs> a zoo.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a great line. Yeah. No, it's it I love it. yeah. For for me, her character stood out for multiple, multiple reasons. every which one you said, uh the the analogy of it being an homage to the the landlady in Kung Fu Hustle is absolutely spot on. Uh, you know, you you can feel elements, uh Within the the character. But, of course, also for me, it's like it's straight from Pink Panther. Oh, yeah. And it's the relationship
0: between the two of them, too. That makes it work so well. She's hiding in a
1: closet to attack him. And he's always telling her to stop. It's just like, you know, for my family that was subjected to watching – Return of and Revenge of the Pink Panther and Pink Panther Strikes Again, probably far too many times. And those videotapes back in the day were made so well, they did not break so easily. Ah, uh, but meaning the tapes did not rip that easily yeah. as they as they do these days. As we've uh, discovered. Yes. Uh, you know, Peter Sellers, Inspector Clouseau is always saying, this is not the time. This is not the time. Which is, of course, I'm not going to try and do a French accent. Right. If we, as we discovered, this film,
0: they have a a safety word, flamingo, flamingo. <laughs> and even when he says it, she continues. Yeah. So
1: if, if
0: you don't want me to hit you, you need to say the safety word. But uh, yeah, so good. but even some of like their when she goes to make them coffee, right, and then she hands it to uh, to Mike Fallon, and she just looks at him and says. I spit in yours. And he just like looks at the coffee and gets this like disgusted. It's just, it's both of them working together. They play off yeah. of each other so well. Uh, and once again, I apologize about all my terrible accents. I My British accent came out sounding like the Beatles, like, oh, no, it did. But uh, the one other character <laughs> I want to mention is uh, George Acres as Dante Zuzer, who is the mafiosa's son, he's a grown-ass man that they have to protect, and he is so obnoxious. You hate this character. He is a spoiled brat that you want to die, but you can't have him die because if he dies, that means finicky Fred dies because Mike Fallon has to keep this mafiosa's son alive, otherwise she's going to kill finicky Fred. But throughout the whole film, he is just disrespectful. He, like, thinks he's invincible until... The bullets are literally flying right in front of his face. And yes, he is an absolutely ridiculous Italian caricature, but it just works so perfectly. He's, How dare you? My mamas are going to be so angry at you. But it's like it, it it works. And for those that don't know, I'm Italian. So I i got a great kick out of all of the uh, ridiculousness of his character.
1: Oh, he, he was so over the top. I, 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 uh. I just thoroughly enjoyed because he is, he is the one character you don't want to protect. And what's fantastic, so AJ and I have discussed uh, the Hitman's Bodyguard films with uh, Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson and talked about how fun they are and also yet how they could have been even so much more. What I want to say is you take those two films together, take those budgets, you merge them together together. You still won't touch Accent Man Hitman's Holiday number 1 and number 2 Accent Man Hitman's Holiday is essentially doing what Hitman's bodyguard should be doing mm. protecting someone he doesn't want to protect and it the hitman has turned into the bodyguard it's a fantastic concept that elevates elevates the concept of a bodyguard having a hitman and protecting someone who is absolutely annoying, but also so funny at the same time. You look like a melted Ben Affleck. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. He has some uh, great little one-liners in there. And so, and the interesting part is watching him in the art of action, he's, you know, just a very calm British individual and stuff. He's, I thought he was Italian. I thought he was an Italian guy playing like a caricature of himself, uh, because it comes off a lot more authentic than my uh, impersonation of him. Obviously, that's my impersonation of everybody. It's an impersonation of a characterization. So, uh, yeah. But otherwise, I think we pretty much discussed uh, everything we need to discuss. Any final closing
1: thoughts? If you want to have fun, watch the film. Oh, yes. Yes, it's rated R. Yes, Yes, it is kind of a bleak, you know, Accident Man is not... It's not for the faint of heart. There is some hard action, but it's also some really good action and a lot of fun.
0: Yes, and there's definitely certain scenes done to comical effect with lots of blood and lots of uh human fecal matter. So if that makes you a little bleh, then, you know, maybe you have to avoid it. But otherwise, it's it's done in good taste as much as it can be.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's... I think the you know, if if you were to break down like a, a John Wick film, a lot of people would say, you know, when you break down these films, a lot of people would say it's just, ah, it sounds a little too violent, sounds a little too gory. But it all comes down to the execution, the way it's photographed, the way it's edited, and also the way the actors perform. And in this film, they perform when things are getting dark and heavy, they perform light and comical. And it makes this really nice balance that makes the film... An absolutely enjoyable ride. Agreed. So uh, we will finish with a
0: little bit of language corner. So can you guess what I'm going to be teaching you today? Accident. There you go. Good, okay. good, good guess. I
1: was gonna, it was going to be between four words, accident, man, hit man, or holiday. Okay. Oh,
0: yeah. So I figured I'd, I'd teach the one that makes the most sense. And the funny part is, once again, a, a word I learned early on, not so much... Because I need to say accent a lot, but so accident is shu gu, shu There you go, perfect. And it's the reverse of gu which is story. So like uh, you know, when I was, you know, I would always ask to learn random things. So I like to learn how to say the names of certain movies. So like Ding Cha Gu is Police Story, the Jackie Chan film Police Story, right? And so Gu uh, different tones, but Gu sure is story. Shu is accident. So and that could be any kind of accident. You could say uh 交通是故, like traffic accident or you know it, so yeah. yep gu. yep. So pretty easy one. There we go. Now uh how you would say how they would directly translate accident man. I don't know. I don't know if it would be I, I I don't know <laughs> if that would make any sense. Uh, it would like yeah, I don't know. Maybe that is what it is. Who knows? But anywho, this has been fun. Glad we got it recorded. I'm gonna now
1: get in gear and get this ready for release tomorrow, and uh, ask Max Walker to have this episode posted yesterday. Max Walker. Max Walker. Time cop.
0: Oh wait, it's not it, Max. Yeah, Max Walker. Walker. Is it?
1: What's yeah, it? I remember. Okay. It is I don't Walker. want to type. It is for sure Walker. But Max, yeah. Max okay. is his first yeah. name.
0: I guess I was just so used to it. Okay, there we go. All right. So I got to call on Max Walker to get it done yesterday. Yes. All right, my friend. Okay. I will see you later.
1: Take care. Peace.